Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by CFM. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I invite back Ed Lavery to discuss his new role at Placer.ai following his previous appearance on the SimilarWeb episode. In our conversation, Ed and I discussed the strengths of location data, alternative data's development, and what he plans to bring with him from his previous role. Separately, I will be hosting the Macro Panel at Battlefin in London tomorrow, so come and say hi if you're there. So in this episode, I think I've got a first, which is a rejoining guest. I think this is this is the first time this has happened. So welcome back, Ed Lavery, who was previously on the SimilarWeb uh, episode and is now back for Placer.ai. Amazing. Thank you very much. And uh, very flattered to have the invitation to come back. It's 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 quite a quite an honor, I must say, being the first. It's um yeah, it's a it's a big compliment, Ed. So, um, thank you. But uh, so Ed, so um, as I say, um, this uh, you have you've made a move. I mean, so you are a something of a of a alternative data celebrity. I want to say you you built similar web up from uh, in the finance on the finance side from scratch, and similar web is is obviously dominant at all the um at all the events that we go to and is and is a big name and now you've moved to another big name which is uh, which is placer so um congratulations on the move um thank you tell me tell me about it how did it happen what's 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 the story sure thing so uh so yeah for for um just in case for those who don't know so placer is a location analytics data provider uh so foot traffic visitation data so I'd been at SimilarWeb for about six and a half years. I had been very fortunate to see the company grow to a bit of a mammoth in the alternative data industry. And it had been really exciting to kind of watch that journey. And um, I guess like as the market matures and becomes more developed, what I was missing was uh, a business that had that big growth opportunity there that I could help grow as well. Now, the way I like to think about Placer is it's almost the offline version of SimilarWeb. So it's uh, essentially instead of web traffic, it is foot traffic. So there's a lot of similarities there as well. Uh, The company, I felt, was almost in the same trajectory and had the same history as SimilarWeb did. Uh, The company was founded in 2018, uh, also partly an Israeli company as well. Um, already has you you work well with Israelis I do work with those Israelis and uh, any excuse to go over to Tel Aviv I love what's the seat what's the I've never been what's the what's the good thing about Tel, Tel Aviv the food the yeah. best food in the world the best food and the beaches incredible um, and it's just a great it's a great city it's a great country uh, the uh, the only downside is the 12-hour flight to get there uh, <laughs> so uh, but apart from that once you're there it's great fair enough um, so you so you had to move to a company which was which was also uh, had had excuses to to visit Tel Aviv, um, and as you as you say, uh, Placer AI is is um, is so you see you see definite um, similarities. Um, please go on. Like uh, so, what's the uh, tell me more about the similarities? 
So, I mean, so it's, it was a business that founded as a corporate first business, uh, has 3000 corporate customers get, uh, amongst many different in- verticals, such as retail, commercial real estate, even towns, municipalities are using it, uh, restaurants, advertising, so many different verticals. So it's an established business in the corporate space. Uh, the product is first class. In the geolocation data space, it is definitely a number one data vendor. It's privacy first. The product is uh, amazing the way that they overlay different data sets, the number of use cases, the UI. Um, and then also it's got a good financial backing. So the company has raised over $150 million. Uh, the founders have uh, experienced uh, running and selling businesses as well before. So it ticked all those boxes. And... What I felt by moving to a company which was still very new, selling to the finance vertical, which but on already very established product, I learned the playbook. I feel from SimilarWeb. Um, like when I joined SimilarWeb, I have to say a lot of it was just figuring out on the fly and just seeing what stuck at the beginning, uh, and a lot of seeing what stuck. And I'm sure those uh, who've set up businesses before. You've got to judge it by whether they are agreeing to what you're saying or not agreeing to your saying. And then when you agree, you kind of know you're on the right track to uh, to achieve something. So then the great thing about joining Placer is that I feel that there's already a bit of a playbook written um, in terms of how you sell the data, what the product needs to look like, and in terms of how you market as well. And it's just been a great experience being able to kind of come to a company with all the ingredients and the infrastructure and just being able to just execute that playbook. Do you feel, um, obviously that's going to be a very different, um, challenge partly because of the, partly because of the way that the market has changed. Um, and do you feel that now compared to, um, whatever it was five or six years ago, or, or maybe seven or eight years ago, um, that, uh, now, because there's so many more people involved in alternative data, um, and there's so many more kind of established paths, you know, like the conferences are all pretty established and uh, et cetera. Um, do you feel now that it's much easier or do you feel now that, uh, to be, to be starting off something like that, or do you feel actually that the competition, because there's so many more, um, you know, vendors out there and so much more noise that it's that it's actually harder to get heard. Whereas back then, you were bringing a new idea to investors potentially. And, and so they might have been a bit more surprised and, and excited by it. So I actually think it's a bit of both uh, to that. I think you can be much more formulaic in a sales process. Um, and in conveying the value of a data set, than you could be a few years ago. Uh, just to give you an example, I think, I think a few years ago, most of the market or buyers were just expecting you just, okay, how well does your data correlate? Can I predict the quarter? And does this have a R squared of like 0.99 versus an R squared of like 0.8? Am I going to go for the highest R squared? I feel that was a market sentiment a few years ago. I feel now as the market's more matured, most buyers are looking for more interesting uh, information beyond just how well does it correlate and how well does it cool the quarter. I think definitely the more sophisticated data buyers, and I think as more fundamental buyers are starting to get into alternative data, they really want to understand, okay, what questions uh, can this answer and how can this support my hypothesis for the data? 
So I actually think if you can understand and position data as not just something that can help you predict, but something that can help you um, understand hypothesis of a company and knowing what those hypothesis questions are, then it almost becomes a slightly for more, more formulaic sale um, as well. Okay. Now, to the point of different, uh to like there are now many more players in the market. Now, firstly, the one thing that attracted me to Placer was that it was a number one in uh, its category of data, so geolocation data. So it was easier to differentiate. So I think as a data vendor, you really need to make sure that you differentiate it. And you can't just say I'm the most accurate data vendor because I still think, as I mentioned, that buyers are moving away from just how predictive is the data set. So I don't think accuracy is necessarily the major winning point as well. I think the way to diff- different data vendors need to and can differentiate themselves and the ones that are successful is by how many questions can this data set answer beyond just being predictive. So I would, I, so I think it, I, so I guess back to your and question, you can, I think it depends. Is that, is that yeah. and is that, is that yeah. related to the, to the kind of breadth and depth of the data set in a way, in terms of the scale of it? Totally. means that there's many more, if it's a, the bigger the ocean, the more, you know, potential that you can find within it. Uh, I definitely agree, but it also needs to be easy to find that information in that ocean as well. Uh, giving someone an enormous data set, which takes ages to kind of clean out, clean the noise, um, find signal from, uh, obviously devalues that data set and makes it harder. So it needs to be a data set, which is uh, broad, deep, uh, and easy to use. And well, and I think if you have all those ingredients, um, then you're in a good position in this market. Mm-hmm. And so uh, back to um, Placer, how does, how does Place, Placer get its um, data? Uh, so Placer gets its data from mobile devices. So we are uh, collecting uh, location analytics data from 25 million uh, devices in the US, uh, which is representative of about 8% of the uh, population. So what we then do, we're collecting uh, de-identified, anonymized uh, data, which we aggregate um, and we apply AI and machine learning to um, estimate visitation metrics to any location in the US. Okay. Um, and the, the, so just to add to that, and the kind of information we also have is not just visitation, but we can also see demographic data, who those you. Uh, who the kinds of people are visiting uh, a location. Uh, we can also see things like loyalty, dwell time, where else they go to before and after. Um, so there's a lot of information that we have um, available in that data beyond and, just foot traffic. And what kind of location information are we talking about in terms of point, points of interest? So um, we are getting um, essentially kind of GPS signals. Uh, so we are then kind of overlaying kind of uh, uh, point of interest data sets on top of that. So we can identify what buildings or areas that um, visitation is occurring in as well. Okay, totally good. Um, and so, and answer. So going back to the to the um, answer that you gave previously about. Uh, what questions your data can uh, answer and help answer 
is that do you see that being as being in uh connection with uh other data sets are you are you seeing the are you still seeing a kind of mosaic type strategies emerging and and placer being one amongst many or or do you think uh placer can could still be a kind of one stop shop for 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 clients so i don't first of all i don't think there's any like right now in the market i don't think you can get as necessarily a one stop shop i think you might be able to get uh data sets uh no data set will cover every single stock that you want because every data set uh, I don't. I don't represent. Yeah. By by one stop shop, I don't mean that. Uh, you know, every 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 fund needs to just go out and buy a, a, a one single data set, and, okay. uh, and they'll be covered. I, what I meant was whether alpha, ca, where, uh, extracting alpha from from placer alone versus using placer in conjunction with other data sets in order to try to kind of answer more complicated question. So I so I definitely think right now uh, the the you, you need that mosaic and like I, I would say that we've um, so we have just partnered with Bloomberg at the moment, which Bloomberg have the second measure data in the platform. So to give an example of this, I think foot traffic data works very well with credit card transaction data, but foot traffic data is essentially intent. So the number of people who are visiting a store or visiting a location, and credit card data is the actual transactions. So if you're looking at both together, you're essentially getting a conversion metric, um, which you can't get with credit card data on its own because you don't know how many people are visiting a store or going to a hotel or uh, going to those locations. So that adds an additional signal onto this. Um, I think the other thing that Placer, in terms of understanding those more fundamental questions, um, I think one thing that Placer has done very, very, very well, and I don't think I've seen any other alternative data vendor do this in such a great extent is combining data sets together. Um, and I think the one advantage that geolocation data does have is that you can geocode, um, obviously, where uh, people are visiting, but you can also combine that with other geocoded data sets. So uh, census block group data sets or even survey data or whatever, similar data sets like that. If they're geocoded, you can then overlay that um, with foot traffic data, and then you can start making inferences on that. So for instance, what you could then see with this kind of information is, let's say you're looking at a retailer, let's say Target, you could see who the consumers are, um, and you can see if they're down trading. Uh, so are they getting a wealthier uh, consumer group? Um, and then you can also pinpoint that not only down to, let's say, the regional level, so Target and the East Coast, but you can pinpoint that to an individual store level as well. So there's a lot of extrapolation you can do with these kind of data sets when you're kind of overlaying uh, overlaying them as well. Uh, I think I think it's interesting to hear how you see Placer being used in 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 real time. What do you have? Do you have a vision for how a well uh, different visions for how a discretionary and a, a quantitative fund might use Placer and uh, to to extract alpha? Um, yeah, so look, I, okay, the way that I, I see it, so if you're a, let's say you're a pure quant fund, you're a systematic quant fund, I mean, it's a pretty standard use case. You you have a data feed, you're looking for signals, um, and like, as long as the data is mapped to tickers, there, um, you would hope there is some kind of signal in that. 
I think when it comes to more of a discretionary manager and a fundamental well, hold, manager. Let's 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 hold on that for a second. So you're mapping to tickers, yeah. but what are you mapping what are you mapping to tickers in, in, in places case? Sure, sorry. So we are mapping um essentially brands um foot traffic to stores, stores to brands, brands to tickers. Okay. So you're so you're so in, in this case then you're um seeing when a uh, when users are going into a certain shop and then um you can you can see how that shop's doing essentially off the back of uh, that foot traffic exactly and it doesn't have to be shops it could also be hotels it can be hospitals uh as well it could be theme parks theaters um any location any locate physical location where people are visiting okay jolly good um and then and then on the discretionary side so I think on the discretionary side, so I mean, obviously one well-known use case is using that map data to kind of track how cut, like track a revenue line item or something like that is performing. Um, so it could be uh, could be anything from uh, sales data for a retailer to visitation data to somewhere like Six Flags to uh, number of patients visiting a hospital, uh, for instance. Um uh, but I, I think where it starts getting interesting with um, more discretionary managers who have a hypothesis in the company is how they can start using the data to almost in the same way that a corporate customer might use the data. So let's say a discretionary manager has a hypothesis that um, they think that, um, let's say Six Flags, for instance, Six Flags visitation is decreasing because um, people are not traveling as far to go to the theme park because they're beginning to start doing more international travel or um, uh, further distance domestic uh, vacations um, as we're coming out of the pandemic and go. They're all coming to Europe. To they're all coming to Europe at the moment. They're coming to Europe. Americans, aren't they? Apparently. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And uh, I'm the opposite. I'm a European ending up in American. Um, so so uh, foot traffic data allows them to see, okay, well, how far are people are traveling to go to the theme park and how has that changed over time? And what is the demographic mix of those people? Um, I think another great use case would be, um, uh, let's say you're looking at, uh, let's say McDonald's at a restaurant chain. You have the hypothesis that uh, I think um, McDonald's Midwestern uh, locations are losing market share to, um, uh, let's say, Burger King. Now, with this kind of data, you could then pin down the individual stores within the region. You can even look at just basic visitation to those stores. But then you could also look at things like trade areas. So you could then basically say, are... Um, people who live in the catchment area of these McDonald's stores, what is the overlap between the catchment area of Burger King stores uh, or locations? And then you can start seeing how that's trending over time, how these two different restaurant chains have been opening up their stores in order to capture these different markets. So you could then take the thesis, well, actually, yeah, McDonald's is losing market share, but maybe not to Burger King, but maybe to um, uh, Taco Bell or something like that. If you could... If you could um... If you could track, uh, if you could break it down historically, down to kind of individuals, anonymized user IDs, 
then um, you could see how many people who used to go to McDonald's have now switched to going to Burger King. Do you see that uh, being possible anywhere on the horizon uh, regulation-wise? So we would go no way near tracking individual data. Um, We are privacy first. Um, We are in the business of collecting aggregated data in general. Uh, so we wouldn't want to, we like we, we would never collect information on individuals. Um, what we can do is collect data on cohorts of individuals. Um, so that's one thing that we can do. So in terms of understanding uh, where people where one cohort went historically, we can't do it ba- right now based on who goes to what retailer, but we can do those cohorts based on uh, basic demographic, well, not even, even more sophisticated demographic information, uh, such as uh, household income, uh, gender, age, um, and even like their consumer interests. Like, do they, uh, are these people that spend money on burgers versus people that spend money on beer? So we can get to that level of granularity. And but you, So you could compare cohort today to cohort um, two years ago and see that that cohort two years ago was going to much more was eating many more Big Macs, and then now here they are, and they've they've all turned to uh, they're all Whopper people. Um, based on could you, could you could you break it down to that? So we actually uh, uh, work with another data set called Persona Live, which has a lot of that information. So we have that into information integrated. So we do have a lot of our corporate customers uh, trying to make their strategic decisions based off the interests. Um, of specific demographic groups. And they can pinpoint that to even the areas uh, that they live in. Totally good. Um, any macro use cases that you're aware of? Yeah, so look, I think one of the most interesting macro use cases, and this is actually a very popular use case amongst our real estate and also credit investors, um, is uh, migration data in general. So we can tell you for any region, zip code, city in the US, uh, the number of people emigrating or the net migration trends um, to those locations and where they're going to and where they're coming from. So we could tell you, for instance, uh, net migration from San Francisco and where those San Francisco re- residents are then moving to. So if you're a credit or real estate investor, this is obviously really important because uh, if you're investing let's say, in an office building or um, a residential complex and you start seeing um, that people are moving away out of that region, then that's uh, not going to be good for that investment. Um, same for credit as well. Um, they might be looking at even taking a retailer, uh, for instance. So if, they, if a retailer is placing stores in cities where there's high net mi- uh, uh, negative net migration, um, well, those stores might be s- struggling um, to generate cash. So I'd say that's kind of one big macro use case, which I think is probably one of our more popular ones. But then also we can also see just general foot traffic trends on an industry level um, by the whole of the US, by region of the US as well, as grossly performing in New York versus California um, and who the winners and losers are and how that is changing over time. Uh, I'm going to ask you a different question. I think you've had really interesting kind of experience across um, alternative data, 
you've been um, in a, uh, you know, you've, you've tracked SimilarWeb all the way up to be, being the first unicorn and, and SimilarWeb listed um, uh, for over a billion, a billion dollars. Um, I am intrigued by, uh, by that experience from the inside. And I'm kind of wondering if somebody came to you and said that their uh, data provider is about to list um, what would you tell them? <laughs> is that a good? Is that good news or bad news? So I think it's it's understand. I, I think it's uh it's important to understand which parts of the market are saturated and which parts of the market there are opportunities for. And the way that I think about it is not necessarily that we're missing. I don't know a people data set. We're missing a. Uh, a search data set or missing an app data set it's more about what are the things that are people tracking what are the area what are the things that people are tracking which they don't have coverage to track those line items or sectors or companies um and what are the ones where there's like a dime a dozen um uh data sets to track those particular uh kpis so to give an example i think uh consumer and TMT um, uh, sectors and tracking revenue for those sectors is uh, for long short hedge funds is very saturated and even for kind of more systematic quant funds as well. So I'd say if you're building a data set that tracks revenue of consumer companies, TMT companies, and you're targeting the long short or systematic quant uh, segments, that's very saturated right now. And I, I think it's a mature market, and I think there's more. It's harder to penetrate and more limited growth opportunities. Where I think there are opportunities in the market are different. Um, so, no, obviously, non-consumer um, and TMT sectors. So, industrial sectors, energy sectors, financial, um, any kind of information or healthcare as well. Any kind of information that either tracks revenue or line items there. I think that is a big opportunity. I think um, even in all sectors, there's very little information tracking anything beyond revenue in general. So I don't think there's much information tracking costs of a company or profitability of a company. Um, I mean, ultimately, imagine if you had a data set that didn't only just track revenue, but could track EBITDA of a company in real time. Like no one's done that yet. I think that involves a combination of many different data sets, but I think that's a huge opportunity there. And then where I think there are other white spaces in the industry are going beyond long, short hedge funds and systematic funds to areas of verticals of the, the financial sector, which aren't really using data. So a lot of the long only funds, for instance, in the equities, and then a humongous market, which I think people are barely touching the surface on is the credit market, which is, I think uh, it's about a $42 trillion market. Um, and that is a market where you don't necessarily need data sets to predict anything because these are more long-term investors. These are um, investors who need just like color on the health of an asset, um, color on their these assets' abilities to generate cash uh, to pay off the interest. So I think the credit market is do you a think, huge do you untapped market. Yeah. I'm Sorry, sorry to sorry to interrupt. Uh, but do you think the um, so the credit market? Do you think a credit investor would be looking at the same data 
in a similar way to a to a, a long short hedge fund, um, or do you think that they would be uh, taking the same data set and just asking completely different questions of it? So, I think ultimately, what every investor is trying to do, uh, and I, when I say every investor, I'm excluding systematics from this. Every investor on the whole is trying to understand the health of an asset. Um, and they're understanding it from different ways. Um, a credit investor is trying to understand whether an asset um, can pay off its interest as well and understanding the riskiness of that. And uh, an equity investor is trying to understand how healthy is this company that could be profitable, that uh, essentially the valuation, the share price, the market value, whatever you want to call it is, is going to go up. So I think that's the underlying shared commonalities between majority of the investment industry. I think the only nuance really comes in is when you have long short investors who are trying to use data to predict quarterly results ahead of financial results or track things in real time. But I think outside of that use case, I think there are a lot of commonalities amongst the rest of the investment industry. And maybe just to kind of give an example uh, of how I think many funds also kind of think in the same way is that there are funds out there which are both fixed income investors and also equity investors. Um, they're right. They have portfolio manager. They have a fixed income portfolio manager and an equity portfolio manager and they divide the distribution based on something like that. But the research analysts who are researching different sectors are the same research analysts. If you're a research analyst for Target, you they are still write or they're, they're writing the research report for the equity investor and also for the fixed income investor. Except the portfolio ma- managers are making just the decision which part of the capital structure do we invest in there. But the actual underlying research to understand the health of the business is conducted by the same analyst as well. Okay. Um. Forgive me, I'm jumping all over the place, partly because I've never had anyone back before. So the so the cozy <laughs> routines of, of just following through the path is is not available. To me. Um, but uh, so another another question out of out of the blue um, is that so what you have uh, what you're creating with um, Placer is very similar, as you say, to what you created with SimilarWeb, uh, in that there's an established company you are essentially building up the financial services angle. Um, so it's a similar challenge in a way, however many years later. Um, so what would you, what lessons have you learned from the similar web experience that you'll try to create again? And I'm thinking things like culture, but you can take it where you want um, in terms of building a team in a similar way um, at Placer, what what will you be trying to reproduce that you were that you felt was successful at SimilarWeb? Sure. So I I think a lot of it is down to the way that you sell as well, um, and I think this is also just an issue I've seen a lot a lot of data companies um, is that when you're selling, you can't feature sell. You can't just say here's this metric, here's this metric, here's this metric, here's this metric. You are smart, Mr. Prospect, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect. Um, like, you figure out what to do with it. So I think one thing that I think is very important and a key lesson I'm taking away is this kind of solution selling. Like, what is the problem? 
that the prospect is trying to understand? What is the most important thing for that prospect to understand as well? Like if you can get them to explain to you, you know, when you're selling and communicating the value of a product, that's the thing you need to show them. Um, less is more. Prospects or customers or buyers come to you with specific problems. If you don't, if they don't have a specific problem in mind, you need to get that problem out of them. So you need to kind of do the discovery. You need to navigate that discussion so you can explain it to them. Because then when you're demoing or showing the product, if you can just double down on that specific problem and the fact that you have the data to answer that specific problem, then that's how you prove ROI and that's how you do a very good sale where they see the value, they're prepared to pay good money to answer that question. So I think that's kind of a, a key uh, learning that I've had, uh, which I think is very, very important to the sale, the customer relationship, and also just growing those kind of accounts over time. So here we are. So it's, it's, it's 2023. You've been in the alternative game for a while now. Um, where would you put it in its in its development? What what do you think? How would you characterize twenty twenty three compared to um, the the years that have gone before it? How would you see um, where where do you think we are? So I think the industry is at a bit of a plateau, beginning to pick up speed. I think how long um, how long's the plateau been going on for? I'd say about 12 months or so, a bit over 12 months. And it's probably been picking up at the beginning of uh, Q2 uh, or maybe Q3 this year, what, like a, a little bit more positive movement. What do you think caused the plateau? Um, I think a lot of it is the the fact that most of the customers buying it have been long, short hedge funds um, and they've been really badly hit, hit with market volatility in the uh, the past year or so so budget like returns are down budgets are down less appetite to spend and less appetite to try uh to try different data sets mm. i think that has also been coupled with um a lack of, a slight lack of innovation in the industry i think the industry have been running off its own steam uh through 2020 2021 2022 and there's nothing there was nothing new really new I think in the industry then, um, which I, I think if that had been something very new in the past 12 months, then that would have performed well, despite budgets being cut, um, overall. Where, what I think the future is, so I think, uh, in the equity space, things are beginning to pick up. I think, uh, more long only managers, um, are becoming interested in alternative data. Um, I even know things like insurance companies are becoming interested in using alternative data. So kind of these kind of old, um, these old kind of like dinosaur, uh, investment teams are now looking into it. You mentioned, it, you mentioned, you mentioned, also, you, you mentioned yeah. it earlier, but let's, let's properly do it justice. Ed. The, the Bloomberg, um, tie up, which was announced this week with, with Placer is a real step towards that, that kind of unleashing the long tail of, of long only investors to, uh, to the, to the joys of alternative data. Um, how is that, how is that, um, how, how did it come about? What's the, what's the story? So 
so we, we've been uh, we've been discussions obviously with Bloomberg uh, for a while, uh, even before I joined the company. So Bloomberg have uh, well, they've got over four hundred thousand terminal users. Uh, they are very clearly the number one in the financial data industry. And alternative data for them, they understand, is a huge opportunity for their growth. And um, they bought Second Measure, uh, a credit card transaction data vendor, a few years ago. And they are, have built a product called AltD uh, Go. And um, this contains their Second Measure credit card data. And geolocation data makes a really good pairing, as I mentioned earlier, with, uh, with credit card data because foot traffic, credit card transactions, they go hand in hand uh, as well, particularly if you're looking at uh, retailers or stores. So Placer data was a natural fit and Placer was very much the number one in the geolocation data space in terms of uh, quality of data, in terms of uh, privacy as well, and in terms of being a very established provider. So I am now having this product, which is free for all Bloomberg users. They can almost get a freemium taste of both credit card data, second measure data and geolocation data. And I think for this tail end, as you said, these users who are very new to using alternative data, or haven't seen it before, they are intuitive data sets to really understand. So I think it's really, really exciting that, people can play around with this without having to commit to buying a data set uh, or testing it, but they get a feel for what alternative data can do and help them with their investment decision-making process. Mm, it really does. It does feel like one of those potential, one of those moments where for a long time we've been waiting for alternative data to to kind of be adopted by the, by the larger institutional investor, you know, pension mm. funds, et cetera. And they've just never had, it seemed like a way to uh, like engage with it, like a way to kind of bring it in and, 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 and bring it into their world. And it, and this, um, as you say, second measure and placer does, does seem like it could be a way for that, for that finally to happen. And then, um, gateway drug, off we go, you know, they, um, then there's a, there's a real taste for it. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's exciting times for, for alternative data for that. Um, exactly. And it fits into their workflow, which I think is, which I think is the most important thing. And I think you talk about the future in the industry, I think data uh, needs to fit into the workflow of users in general. It's hard to look at one data site, say if you're looking at employee data set with a web traffic data set with a credit card data set in three or four different platforms. Um, and particularly if you don't have a data science team that um, can build your own internal visualizations, um, you want to see all your data in one place. You want to see it overlaid with financial data in a format that you're used to seeing. And I think uh, the Bloomberg terminal is like the perfect format for that. They're used to know, seeing how Bloomberg, they know how Bloomberg data is constructed. They get to see many different data sets overlaid with each other. More data sets could be added to this over time. So it's exactly, I think, what these large funds, tail end funds really need to start adopting alternative data. Fantastic. Um, 
Ed, I think uh, I think this has been a there's been a really interesting conversation. I th- I'm very glad to have to have got you back. I think it's a it's a great time to be talking to Placer as well. Uh, thank you very much for moving there so that we could talk about it um, uh, with, <laughs> uh, with, uh, with 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 just just uh, announcing this tie up with Bloomberg. Could be seen in the in the in the long history of alternative data. It could be seen as a major landmark in uh, in, in in development. So uh, so we'll see. But um, but no. So Ed, thanks so much for coming back. It's been a, been a great pleasure, and um, and best of luck with the new venture. Thank you very much. Great to be on, and thank you very much, Mark.